CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, finally, we got here. Walk into paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This time, a T-Watts and TR edition of the BOL Pod. It is a Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside site publisher Tim Watts and Tim... We've talked about this in previous weeks, but it is a great time of the sports year. We've got college hoops now joining the mix. We had Major League Baseball culminating with another World Series win, world title win for those Houston Astros. And uh, so now we got to wonder what's up with the Braves, man. What's got to happen to get this team back in that mix? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be really good. I mean, they got questions to answer. They've got a. Who's going to be the shortstop? Are they going to keep Dansby Swanson? They got to add a. They got to do some of their relief pitching. Left field's a weakness. I mean, but you know, when you look at the grand scheme, I also want to get another starter. When you look at the grand scheme of things, they're in as about as good a shape as almost anybody you're going to find with you know team friendly deals with Cunha uh, mm-hmm. and Ozzy Alves and uh, Austin uh, Riley um, Olson at first base. They've got a lot of talent. Uh, Michael Harris, a young guy. Strider's a young guy on those rookie contracts. So they're in as good a shape as you want. They're going to have to definitely, um, you know, pick it up because there's some legitimate teams out there. The Mets are going to go all in trying to, you know, trying to win one. They, they've spent so much money. They've got no other choice. So, but, uh, that, that, that division between the, the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves are just, that's just one nasty little group of, of, of guys going at each other. So very competitive, very much like the SEC West. Yeah, core guys for a lot of those teams going to be back for the foreseeable future in the NL East. And it was with that theme in mind, Tim. I thought, hey, let's get into this Alabama football team. Now at 7-2 and two overall following last Saturday night's overtime loss to the LSU Tigers down in Baton Rouge. And yeah, it's still maybe a little early, but is it really ever too early to start thinking about some scenarios for 2023? And with that season in mind, I looked at some of these players currently on the Alabama roster, and it's interesting because you go into a season with a perspective on a lot of guys, well, this is definitely it, whether they're three and outs, whether they're fourth-year guys uh, that still have a year of eligibility remaining, whether it's uh, due to a red shirt or COVID or both, uh, maybe even some fifth-year guys on this team that are looking at uh, the potential for a, a return. And then you factor in NIL with this too, right? Now, it used to be it was NFL money or nothing. Well, now, if you hang around, that potential for NIL money is there for a lot of these guys. So understanding that the expectation for Bryce Young and Will Anderson is that they're going to be off to the National Football League. You want to run down some candidates here that that might have a decision to make, who will likely have a decision to make once this season comes to a close? Absolutely. I'll give you my two cents. Might want to refund. All right. (laughs) Here we go. Hey, let's start with Brian Branch, man. I think he's a fascinating possibility because it sounds like this is a guy that NFL teams absolutely love. Yes, he is primarily a sub-defensive back, but 
really in the NFL, like you are in college now, you're typically in your five defensive backs, which means Brian Branch is a starter uh, by that standard and a very productive player. Um, maybe doesn't have the takeaway numbers as much, but you talk about the ability to play in uh, coverage against slot receivers. You talk about the ability to hang in in the box in a lot of situations against the run. Uh, what do you think for Brian Branch? Stay or go? Branch is that guy, you know, he's so weird. It's hard for me because they, it's going to be hard with the NFL, too. They got tough, justice, t- uh, tough choices to make because I don't think he's going to crush the NFL combine. I don't think he's a he's a Minka or, you know, those guys that go in the first round, Derwin James. I don't think he's going to have that kind of speed. And that's kind of was a knock on him. It's kind of why Georgia didn't really push on him. And, you know, Alabama saw him because of what he was. He's a football player. So when you start, you know, when you start juggling those balls, when you look at it from a football standpoint, excellent football player, a hitch, he's got good instincts, he's a workhorse, he's going to have, he's going to get signed off on by Saban, he's going to give him accolades for everything he's done, been a three-year impact player, he checks all the boxes. Now, NFL is so much about the NFL combine, um, how fast can you run, how, how much you can jump and all that stuff, so that's going to hurt him. And, you know, with this, you know, you don't see many safeties. I mean, you don't see many safeties in the first round besides those freaks. You know, Minka was a freak. Derwin James was a freak. Freak. You had Jamal Adams that was a freak. Um, so that's, you know, you're not pro- probably looking at a second-day grade on him. Uh, you've seen guys like, uh, you know, Landon fell into the second round, I believe. And a lot of the best safeties in the NFL weren't first-rounders. Now, they're still the ones I mentioned who were the – the freaks of all freaks that, that went up there. So I think it's going to come down just what you said, that second round, third round money versus, uh, you know, what kind of NIL deal he can get. But also I'll say this about Branch. I think the one thing that I, if I had to predict, I'd say he leaves because I think he loves the challenge. I think he loves football. And I think his goal has always been to get to the NFL. With that said, we saw Battle come back. We've seen other guys come back at the safety position because as valued as it is by a team, when it comes to the draft, it's just you don't see many go in the first round. And if you're Brian Branch, you may think, well, what's my ceiling a year from now, right? Is it really going to be? all that much higher and it all goes back to what kind of safety class, what kind of sub DBs are in this class uh, compared to maybe a year from now that's taken into consideration. So that will certainly be an interesting one to watch when the time comes. Jameer Gibbs, this seems like a slam dunk. Um, I think, I think he's been everything the NFL wants to see from him at the running back position. He's not going to bash you between the tackles. The NFL already knew that. Uh, but as far as being kind of like a Travis Etienne, perhaps in the NFL, I think he's given the NFL uh, the the tape that it it wanted from him in his first and perhaps only season with Alabama. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going to compare him to Kamara, uh, Alvin Kamara. You know, you see that coming out of the backfield. The difference is, like you said, though, Kamara can gash you between those tackles. Um, you don't see as much from it from Gibbs. Part of that, I don't think the Alabama line has been particularly good this year. Haven't really opened up a lot of holes. You've seen a lot of stretch plays. Um, you know, with Gibbs, I don't know the situation well enough, but I wonder if his – I don't know how much he can increase his stock because we saw Najee Harris come back mm-hmm. uh, and certainly put on tape that got him in the first round. Let's not forget that. Najee 
probably I think he could have went in the first round, but everybody had him projected as a second day guy. And then Najee came back, put on those you put on those tight end clips and those offensive line clips protecting um, quarterbacks ended up in the first round with the 24th pick. So with Gibbs, I wonder, you know, how much it is because he actually probably could increase his stock to some degree because running between the tackles is going to prove he's an every down back, mm-hmm. hopefully a better offensive line. And also that, that, that guy waited a long time to get to Tuscaloosa. He always wanted to go to Alabama. I wonder how much if I, and it might not factor in at all. Let me be clear, but I wonder how much being in Tuscaloosa and being in Alabama factors into that as well for him. Yeah, whatever you do have in the NIL reserves, I got to think uh, a quarter of that maybe goes to Jameer Gibbs if he'll come back for another year um, because they could they could really use Jameer, no doubt about it, for a second season. What about a couple of guys? I, I think we know with Tyler Harrell. I mean, we haven't even really seen him this year. He's caught one pass after coming over from Louisville. Uh, the wide receiver position, Jermaine Burton, it, it hasn't been the season for him that a lot of folks projected it to be. And, you know, he's just a junior, so he has at least another year of eligibility uh, available to him. What about a couple of guys like that? Um, again, I would think Harold would be a, a simple one, uh, but what about Jermaine Burton? Yeah, they're both interesting to me. Burton's had, you know, he's uh, he's moved around quite a bit, moved to California to play high school football, moved back, went to Georgia, left Georgia to come to Alabama, had been committed to LSU. He, so he's not a guy afraid to, you know, pick up and, you know, you know, grab a suitcase and, and move out the door. So he might feel he's ready for the NFL. I'm not sure how much he can increase his stock, um, but he definitely could increase his stock. I mean, he hasn't seen, you know, a lot of the stuff you wanted to see from him this year. You just haven't seen. And he got off to a pretty good start. Now, part of that could be the offense. Part of that could be that, you know, the protection or what kind of what kind of shape brought, you know, Bryce's arms in. I think all that factored in. So I would guess Burton might go pro just based on his past history. Um, hey, you know, in third, fourth, fifth round money, I think he'd probably fall in those middle to late rounds. That's still good money, you know, when you look at it. But then again, he is a guy that could increase his stock. Harold for sure can increase his stock. Now he could go. So one thing about the NFL, he could go run four two eight and be like a, Willie Mays Hayes in the movie Major League, he'd be on the team just because he woke up and ran in his pajamas and and broke all kind of records. They'll take you. They took uh, uh, I've seen other guys get um, um, a taste of the NFL just based off speed alone, and he's got that. But I have to think he wants to come back again to put that tape um, on there to play healthy. I mean, he's been banged up all year and, and, and get that chance to play. Uh, one year to get that tape for the NFL. So I would think Harold would come back for sure. I'd probably lean a little bit with Burton. And look, a lot of this is going to be to be determined. Let's make that clear to everybody. Absolutely. I mean, because they're about to get NFL grades back, and some of them will get not drafted. Some of them's just going to get a note that says, go back to school. So that's what some of them are going to say. Some of them's going to get, you know, first, second, third, third day or whatever of the draft. So, so a lot of schools, a lot of teams don't even, I don't think, even respond past the first three rounds or really give a lot of input past the first three rounds. But um, so a lot of this is still to be determined. Yeah. And the portal is still available to some of these guys. Uh, even with the one-time transfer rule, if you're uh, at that graduate level uh, at some point here in the next six to eight months, then uh, that's another option for you as well. We're going to stay on the transfer portal train from the most recent cycle. And what about Tyler Steen? He's got a COVID year available to him, Tim. I, I know this is an older dude, but um, what have you seen from him this year that would lead you to believe that 
uh, he, he's ready for the NFL. And, and even from that perspective, again, a guy that if you're thinking a year from now, how much more is he going to help himself? Yeah, I agree. A lot of these guys are in the same boat. I mean, you don't have guys, you know, if they're just accepting, I don't think Steen's going to be a first round pick, or at least I haven't heard anybody say that. I think he's been pretty good at Alabama. I know the Alabama staff's been very happy with having him there, but um, again, you know, a lot of this is going to come down to how much are these guys just ready to go pro? Are they just ready to leave college? You know, the, you know, some kids, you know, we've discussed this. I always use uh, Damien um, uh, Harris as the uh, bell cow of guys who just don't want to leave college. Mm-hmm. Uh, they love it. You know, some of them just love it. Some of them want to be there. Some of them enjoy it. Some of them aren't in a big rush. Najee apparently was that way. Strolled back on campus with one one strap in his backpack and uh, won a national championship. Though Steen, I think it's going to come back to the NFL feedback. Um, where does he project? Does he project outside? Does he project inside? Um, you know, what teams? I don't know enough about Steen and haven't really heard enough to really have a great gauge on him. Um, I know he's a pretty smart guy, so I think he'll make a – an educated decision based on that. But yeah, he can come back, have a chance to be a little bit more vocal. He might want to have a chance to win a national championship. I think that's a big part why he came here to begin with. And it could just depend how he feels about that team next year. Yeah. And you think about tackle development uh, and the guys that are available, maybe it's a Pritchard that came in this year that develops and ends up being ready in some form or fashion a year from now. But we saw it even against LSU, when Steen had to leave the game briefly, it was Amari Kite that jumped in there at left tackle, which was interesting because you kind of wondered, and fortunately for Alabama, knock on wood, J.C. Latham and Steen have remained largely available throughout the season, but tackle certainly a continued area of concern in terms of player development and recruiting for the Alabama Crimson Tide. What about Eli Ricks? This is another guy that back in the preseason, you saw him in the top, round the first round of NFL mocks more than a few that I recall anyway Tim and you know he's jumped into the starting lineup starting lineup here the last couple of games I uh, did some really good things against Mississippi State uh, and then in the second half against LSU had a few struggles uh, there at the left corner position uh, what what do you think maybe he's thinking about right now I think with him with LSU I think he was just too wound up I think he wanted to fight you know he knew went in there they not like fist fight, but I know he was wanting to prove a point. He probably had to hear a lot of trash that week, having been at LSU. I mean, he was very handsy. The play in the end zone, the ball's thrown in the third row, and he's, uh, you know, he's dropping elbow in the back of his head, shoving the guy in the ground, and and all that. I think he's been good. Um, I think he was in position when he got a couple of those interferences. I've never thought he was a first round pick. I thought that he's not going to, you know, he's not going to light up the scoreboard when he gets on the 40. He's not going to run like a lot of those guys, is he? No, he's not. And that, I mean, dude, when the NFL, when it comes to cornerbacks, it's going to be non-negotiable. Yeah. Hips and all that kind of stuff. I'll tell you what he's got. Which, yeah. What he's got is absurd is he has got a wingspan <laughs> like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. His, he doesn't even have to bend his waist to scratch his shin. I mean, his arms are long. He's got good instincts. He's, you know, he's got, you know, he'll, he'll fight you. You know, he'll fight for the ball. I don't see any way he's a first round pick. I've said that all along. I mean, that's, that's sort of how it is though with the mock drafts. You had, remember the kid from Wake Forest that transferred to Georgia? And I look up, he was second in the Heisman quarterback. Yeah. And that wasn't very good. Nobody saw him at Wake. Give me a break. Um, his parents, if they were at the game, were watching their ESPN Plus on their phone for good games. He, 
got all that hype because he went to Georgia. Georgia's a big name program. Um, he looked the part. Rick's kind of fell into that mold too because he's going to Alabama. Alabama only has good DBs. Now he is a good defensive back. I don't think he's a first round pick, but I, you know when it comes to that, he's a, he's got. That's the thing about cornerbacks. I mean, we saw Diggs leave. He knew he wasn't a first-round pick. Obviously, should have been a first-round pick. We saw Savion Smith go pro. Um, did he even get drafted? Uh, gosh, if he did, it was late. He, he recently had a pretty significant yeah, injury, scary injury. Yeah, We've seen defensive backs. We saw Armour Davis go, knowing he wasn't a first- or second-day pick. He's did really well in the NFL. So a lot of this is just going to come down to that person. Rick strikes me as a guy who, who's not – um, you know, not really in college, you know, because of the you know college atmosphere. I think that was an uh, ends to a mean. Um, so I would guess he goes pro, especially if he gets a second day, uh, second day grade. But then again, he doesn't have a lot of tape from this year. You know, he's got a chance against Ole Miss. There'll be a, there'll be a you know an offense that'll attack him. He's got Auburn. He's got possibly the bowl game if he wants to play in it. So um, I would guess Ricks will go pro simply because that's another kid. California. And one thing about Ricks I've liked is he does not lack for confidence. And um, guys like that, they often don't worry about what round they're going, you know, going in. They just know they're going to make the team. You know, there are some interesting guys, too, because of the COVID year. Some veterans that have been around, guys like Byron Young, B.J. Dale, Emil Echior, Cameron Latou at tight end. Um, that really adds to the intrigue when you consider – uh, the stay or go possibilities for some of these veteran guys that have been around for four years or more. And, uh, and it also brings in again, uh, the, the presence of NIL and how much it could impact maybe some of these veterans that before the season, we would have just automatically assumed would be moving on. Uh, maybe a positive byproduct of some of the struggles that Alabama's had this year is that Kind of similar to the 2010 team. Got a lot of guys back in 2011, a few that you really would not have anticipated being back for 2011 with Mark Barron probably at the top of that list. So what about that possibility, Tim? Some of these veterans that that possibly make good use of that COVID year. Yeah, I mean, I'm to me, when you look around, you've seen – um, you know, and also, some, you know, you know, it's hard. We see the fan seat is such a business – for you know, and I made a post this week about you know I you know I wasn't trying to assault any grown-ups, but probably did. These kids don't take it as serious as, as a lot of the adults do. When Alabama loses a game, they they these guys these guys turn off the game, text a few friends, go out with their girlfriend or their friends and and bowl or whatever they're going to do. They don't they don't sit there and kick the TV all night, you know, or or, or vent as well as they do. So. Um, yeah, I think some of that applies in college. Some of these kids are going to enjoy college. I mean, let's be real. College is pretty damn good for a, you know, a, a college a college athlete, right? I mean, you got, you know, you got classes, you get to walk around. I mean, it's your last taste. I mean, when you go pro, you can ask anybody. And I, you know, I deal with a lot of these guys and see them. It's a different animal. Now, it helps a lot of people being in professional basketball because some guys are just all about ball. You know, so the last thing Keenan Allen ever said to me was, I love Bama, but I just want a ball. That's the last <laughs> thing he said to me before, you know, because that turned into such a mess. And that's always reminded me, some of these kids just want to play sports. Some of them enjoy college life. Some of them like going out to parties. You see him, Najee's certainly another example of a guy who seemed to love college. You know, he loves people. And I mean, he still acts like a, 
you know, almost a frat guy in the NFL. He's one of the favorite sound bites for the Steelers. And there's my alarm for the pod. And we did it early because Travis is under hurricane alarm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a lot of this would just come to that, you know, come down to who enjoys it. And I mean, you've seen guys, I mean, do you think the, uh, the Tennessee quarterback, the Georgia quarterback or the Penn state corner quarterback, all of those guys are 24 years old. It's old as crap. I mean, they're older guys at the NFL, but they were able to capitalize on some of those extra years and they still get to play a little bit longer have a little, you know, I don't, I, I don't think they're going to be, you know, Hooker might have a chance. I don't know how much of one to play pro, but they, you know, to me, I think it's definitely a chance some of these guys exercise that last year. I know everybody will say that's the specialist in TR coming out, but I'll give you a guy that to me is in the top three on this list is Will Reichard, the kicker. Will Reichard has that extra year available to him too. And yeah, he had to miss from 50 against Tennessee, but boy, uh, wouldn't have had a chance in overtime against LSU if he doesn't make the 46 yarder in the final seconds last Saturday night. He beats Texas with a field goal. Uh, I know they've got a kicker committed for this class. I also know their backup kicker uh, right now is uh, in the transfer portal already. It's kind of bizarre to see a guy in the transfer portal, but he's still on the team and traveling, but that's where they're at with their specialists. I, I, I'm hopeful, man, that Will Reichert will come back for another year when we talk about these guys. And there, there are some wild cards. I think some people look at Jordan Battle and even DeMarco Hellams and think, man, eh, hadn't been that kind of year for either of those guys, even though Hellams leads the team in tackles. And he does have one of Alabama's three interceptions, just three interceptions for this team through nine games. Whereas Jordan, I think, has one pass breakup, a reasonable amount of tackles. But uh, for some of these guys, it just feels like they're going to move on regardless. Yeah, I would think Battle is a guy that, you know, he's he's he suffered through some injuries and, you know, he's, you know, you know, the safety position's odd. When Battle runs well, he gets to the ball, he gets downhill. Hasn't been super physical this year. Um, hasn't had really that many opportunities. We haven't seen him thrown to a whole lot. I feel like Battle will move on. Helms, I'm not so sure. Um, to me, Helms isn't. Both of them are NFL players, in my opinion. But again, mm-hmm. we're talking. I mean, this draft is so different because we're not talking about guys with even a remote chance of going in the first round. We're right. To, right everything we're used to is first. Now, you go from Will and Bryce – a lot of mid-round types. Yeah, top five, to, you know, one to 15, wherever you want to argue about them. And then after that, it is some major question marks. That's the biggest difference in this class to me is the draft class. And it was bound to happen. I mean, Alabama's putting four in the NFL in the first round, six in the NFL, you know, in the first round. This was bound to happen. I mean, you can't mathematically. I just don't think you can put that many in the NFL. I've never known anybody to do it. So you're seeing, definitely seeing this team's, on paper, not as talented NFL-wise with the upperclassmen or the draft-eligible guys as it was. So that's what's going to make this so hard. I mean, last year, you know, the one thing I'll say about this, you've seen a lot of Alabama guys that went in the second round that were first-round talents. Trayvon Diggs was a first-round talent. Had he came back, put it on tape, he'd have been a high first-rounder. Christian Barmore is another one. Um, just Cam Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, those guys just didn't quite have the tape. Um, Landon Dickerson would have been a first rounder, except for his, you know, his injury history. 
and um, was injured at the time and still went in the second round. But all these guys, Raekwon Davis, all these guys are really good football players. They play in the NFL. They start. I see them every week, week in, week out. Um, so you're now we're talking about how much is that second round. And you're right, the NIL, I mean, the NIL, and the NIL is different. I mean, a lot of us on the message board look at it like that carrot, that carrot to get this recruit to campus, which is not supposed to be, absolutely not. But the NIL, once you're on campus and you're a, you're a football player, I mean, you can see, you know, some of these guys, bigger name guys. I mean, you could sell help. Brian Branch can help you sell a car, for instance. You know, um, people, the average fan, Alabama fan, will know who Brian Branch is. They won't necessarily know who your safety commit is. So there'll be a little bit more options for these guys that are big names that are already on campus. Yeah, and from what I understand, Saban wants to get that initiative well into the eight figures where NIL is concerned for the for the football program, well into the eight figures. So uh, there's a lot of cash uh, that we're going to be talking about here on the not-too-distant future. Hey, with Ole Miss up next, and of course, Lane Kiffin, of all the former Nick Saban assistants and understanding how it didn't end exactly – in a graceful manner for Lane at Alabama, given what he's done at Florida Atlantic. And now with Ole Miss at eight and one this season on the doorstep or right at the top 10 in the rankings as we head into mid-November, have we come around to the point of thinking, Tim, that Lane Kiffin makes the most sense when considering a potential successor to Nick Saban that has ties to his regime uh, at Alabama? You know, I think there's a lot of bad blood between some people in Lane for how he left. There's a lot of people inside that program, and not just the football program, but the administration that 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 probably would really have to be flipped and um, yeah, and changes to made. I mean, it's you know the thing about it is is like I do believe in second chances and th- third chances in, in Lane's case, and um, obviously you know I've been told he you know he looks fantastic if you look at him physically. I was told somewhere in the summer before that that he had that he rehabilitated himself, stopped drinking, got serious about his looks and all. And you've seen it this year. He looks yeah. fantastic. He looks like he's 30 again, you know, physically. So that certainly helped. But I do think there's enough stuff there. There'd have to be a lot of questions answered. You know what I mean? I know the fans love the love the love the the tweets and all. It's very unique and. And uh, I'm sure that's Lane tweeting 20 times a day, too, of course. But I know they love the, the tweets. And, he, and, you know, he is a funny guy. He's the only coach really out there throwing Twitter jabs and stuff. I haven't seen that since, I mean, Hughes Freeze did it early on, a few of them. We've seen a few coaches do it. But uh, so it is funny. Some of the stuff is funny. And, he, you know, he's got that personality. But I don't know. I think they would have – it's a good question. I mean, talent-wise, I think it's there. He can call a game. He can coach people. If you had to pick today, Lane or Sark? I'm going to go Sark every time, I think. I think Sark, especially a rehabilitated Sark with problems behind him and happily married. And, you know, if he's doing all the right things, I think the, you know, the biggest problem with Sark was off the field. It was never, that's the difference between me. Like Lane had issues on the field, like coaching teams that underachieved. He had teams that didn't look as good. Uh, Sark's a lot of, you know, most of his were self-inflicted wounds off the team. Um, obviously Lane's learned a lot. He's definitely a successful football coach, but Sark, 
um, he was, you know, he's pretty much been successful everywhere he's went or on the verge of success and, and just had those hiccups off the field. Definitely some stuff that he would also have to answer and check some boxes. But he had a good tenure at Alabama. He left on good terms as far as I know. He had a good run at Alabama. He's an original play caller. I mean, he's had, you know, one difference between the two is probably harder to pull somebody from Texas than Ole Miss. No offense to Ole Miss, but Texas is a school that can reach really deep in the pockets. But at the same time, Texas is, you know, Sark lost a couple. I mean, Sark lost Alabama in the fashion he did. And I was shocked at some of the stuff I read about this guy's not the guy. I mean, at the yeah. time, I mean, losing to Alabama by one point in that situation in the game they fought where they lost their starting quarterback, I thought they would be streaking the quad like Frank the Tank next. <laughs> I had no idea they'd be a little pissed if they lost. And then, you know, he lost a couple of other ones, had a, you know, had a bad loss. But um, obviously a pretty good team. They're favored by seven over TCU. So I think Sark's a good one. You know, what's going to get interesting is when you get into like the – the looser connected guys like a Dan Lanning. That's what I was going to go to Dan Lanning, a former grad assistant under Nick Saban back in 2015. There's sort of that next wave even, right? That you're not quite sure how that's going to play out, but he's done a nice job in year one out in Eugene. Tell you what, if Dan Lanning's not being mentioned for coach of the year, um, Bo Nix, I don't know if they have a college comeback player of the year, but it's definitely Bo Nix needs to be in it. Um, not at all what I think people expect, especially come out of the gates. And we know Georgia's good, but Georgia hadn't really beat anybody 100 to nothing. You know, they beat Oregon 100 to nothing or whatever the score was. It they, felt like they beat Tennessee 100 to nothing, but yeah. It, it yeah I, mean, I mean, yeah, Tennessee would have been down eight points if Keeley Ringo hadn't made that terrific play in the end zone. They throw that interception. So Oregon never even competed. But yeah, Georgia beat Tennessee down pretty good too. But uh, Oregon just never was in the football game. No. And, it turned out to be a really good football team so far. So I think Dan Lanning's a guy you look at, you know, you, you know, want to get back to the South. But one thing about these coaches, they don't mind competing against each other. You know, you had Pruitt at Tennessee and Kirby at Georgia, you know, Billy's at Florida. All these guys are kind of lanes at Ole Miss. All these, you know, guys loosely connected to Bama or strongly connected are okay competing with each other. So I think Lanning – uh, could be interested in coming back to the South. But then again, man, he's at, if you, if you want to be out West, is there any way, is there any better savior to have than uh, Phil Knight? Who, yeah, you got, you got the Auburn opening right now too. And I know there's been some connections made to, well, Lane, of course, but also Dan Lanning. Um, so we'll see how they go. It seems like more of that fan base right now is, is starting to get overtaken with caddy fever after the performance against Mississippi State the other night. Cadillac Williams yeah. drawing some favor right now. It was good to see. I covered him in high school. And Cadillac, I, uh, dude, that, that kid, was he was special back then. I went and watched him as season opener. And first or second quarter, he got a hamstring cramp. And it was early. You know, how, you know that first time of the year is kind of a little cooler at night. It's warmer in the day. It's first game. Got a cramp in his right leg a little later before halftime. Well, sometime in the fourth quarter, I, don't, I mean, dude, I was like talking to a buddy and I just hear somebody screaming. It's like the movie Halloween. It was like Damian Lee Curtis was getting stabbed. He was, and I learned around, Carnell had uh, uh, cramps in both hamstrings, both at the same time, like both. And he was just screaming. They were up a decent amount and he went back in and he was trying to punch himself. 
He's trying to like punch himself in the hamstrings to get him loosened up. <laughs> and this guy went back in the game. Wow. I actually thought Carnell was a better safety than he was a running back, and I thought he's a five-star running back. So it's not surprising to see him all fired up. But I was going to ask you, do you, if you're Lane, if Travis Ryder's Lane Kiffin, if Lane was that lucky that Lane, oh yeah, sure, he was sure. That, do you leave Ole Miss for Auburn, knowing what you know, the history of Auburn, knowing that Auburn is a good job, they've got the resources, and also knowing Ole Miss is in love with Lane. You, well, like, where do you, where do you stand on that for Lane? Um, well, first of all, if Lane Kiffin were Travis Ryer, he wouldn't have VIP status at Innisfree, so that's a that's a knock against him right there. No, seriously, I think that I, for me, I would stay at Ole Miss because I think Lane has shown you with this team that whereas you can talk about NIL and you can talk about you know advantages in recruiting. With what he's done in the transfer portal this year, with Zach Evans, with wide receiver position, with Jackson Dart at quarterback, Michael Trigg at tight end before he broke his collarbone a few weeks back, uh, even on the defensive side of the ball with a middle linebacker like Troy Brown, I think Lane's going to be able to rebuild and continue to compete at a very high level on an annual basis. I think he's got clearly a better program right now at Ole Miss without the expectations, Tim, than he'll inherit at Auburn just with 10 times the expectations. Yeah, I think when and, and if Alabama really is his big picture goal, any chance of that, I would think would, would rest more positively with continuing on at Ole Miss or somewhere other than Auburn than, if he made that move, I think when Lane Kiffin rebuilding is just thrown out the window. Yeah, I think portal is meant for Lane Kiffin. I think that he, you know, when Jackson Dart leaves, he's going to be able to tell that quarterback, you know, who's backing up a, you know, a Drake May, probably yeah. a talented kid, a talented kid's probably backing up a Caleb Williams or Stroud at Ohio State. Or yes, Brock. he's always going to have an yes, elite quarterback. We've seen that. We've seen back just like Sark. Sark's always going to have an elite quarterback, right? Absolutely. And so you can come in and tell that guy, "Hey, come in here, start. Look what I did with Matt Matt Corral. Look what I did with uh, Jackson Dart." And I think, I mean, I think the portal's perfect for him. So Ole Miss, you know, you probably without the portal, you have to say, "Well, can Ole Miss recruit as well as Auburn? Do they have the resources of Auburn?" I mean, I still think Auburn's a a really good job outside, I do too. Uh, outside yeah. of the fisticuffs that go, you know, the thing is, whoever they choose, it seems like half of the people are going to be mad at who they choose. So everybody goes in with one hand tied behind their back. I mean, Tommy Tuberville is a successful coach and they, uh, you know, they were trying to replace him. Gus Malzahn was, I mean, was the biggest thorn in Nick Saban's side and they were never really happy with him. And, um, is going to Auburn right now going to put Lane any closer to a championship than he is at Ole Miss? You know, I do think Auburn's recruiting pool, yeah, it, it will help. I do, I do think the recruiting pool will help. I do think he'll get talent um, at Auburn. I would say yes. I think, okay. so. I think Ole Miss is very competitive. Don't get me wrong. I think they've been competitive. I mean, you win ten games back to back years at Ole Miss, which he should do. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty amazing job. Um, you could have him in the coach of the year with landing as well if he gets to 10 wins um, again. Um, Auburn, I just think the thing about Auburn is like 
no matter what. This is the same way with Alabama. Auburn is going to have good defensive players. Same thing when Nick Saban got to uh, Alabama. They had a lot of pieces in place already, despite Shula just you know having an okay record, being an average coach record-wise. Alabama had a lot of – I mean, they had Rolando, they had Andre, they had a lot of pieces in place. Auburn is going to do that as well. They're going to have guys on that campus. I mean, obviously right now it's different. They've had so many – They've had so many transfers. I mean, they have a core. I mean, TJ Finley, I think, is already in the portal. Is that right? Uh, I believe so. He, he's so, been out. He's had some – I think he took a, a mental health break too. So. Yeah. So I don't know. I had a college coach tell me he's in the portal. I don't know if that means he's going or he is or what. So It would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think Lane seems to like Ole Miss. He seems to yeah. like uh, Oxford, I should say. He seems to be pretty popular. I know those people love him over there. Um and, uh, you know, you know how it is like when you're in a smaller town, they protect you. They protect your secrets. Mike Price is a classic example of that. His staff at Washington State were able to do stuff that you obviously couldn't do in Tuscaloosa and um, all of that. But I think it's an interesting decision. I mean, the dominoes are going to be interesting. Also, the thing I'm skeptical, and we'll, we'll close the Auburn segment, I guess, but the media is never that I can recall. Maybe you you recall different. I don't recall the media ever nailing the Auburn coach out of the gate. Everyone said it's Lane Kiffin. Everyone said it's the top. Yeah. Maybe they get it right, but who saw Brian Harzen coming? You know, I heard Heavy Lane, uh, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago to Auburn, like ten right. years for one hundred and twenty million. Lane is, is what I had thrown at me. So you're right, though. Uh, no one saw Brian Harson coming, but plenty Tim saw him going. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That's the weirdest situation. That and he'll like, go back out west, and he'll. I think he'll be a good coach again. Yeah, but, absolutely. He'll yeah. Win. yeah, he absolutely will win. Even if he starts as a coordinator, somewhat where where um, I'm not saying he will. Somebody's getting a hell of a coordinator. Uh, Boise State's really struggling without him. Maybe they could work that thing back again. Run it back with Brian. Um, wanted to ask you too, Tim, in the midst of these struggles for Alabama and with the early signing date, just a little more than a month away, I guess it's no surprise to sense the anxiety coming from the fan base now where even recruiting is concerned. How much of that, as we sit here and talk on a Thursday is warranted is legitimate right now, in your opinion, if any of it, you know, I mean, I see fans who quit because Alabama lost. I'm done with them this season. Um, any recruit that look, and I mean any recruit to any school, anybody looking at the NCNC State game and going NC State lost, I'm not going there. I'm going to North Carolina. That's not a kid you want on your on your team. Um, most kids don't think. Most prospects don't think in such simple terms. I mean, especially. When you're looking at an Ohio State, an Alabama, Georgia, any of the big teams you're talking about, kids that commit there are looking for atmosphere, chance to play in the national championship, development, history, all that stuff. All that stuff factors in. So you're not going to find many of them going, well, I was going to blank, but they lost two games, and so I'm not going there. They're not nearly as emotional as as adults, adults who say, I'm done, I'll be back next year. <laughs> You know, those those are fans you don't need as well. You know, um, I don't see many kids now. The kids that will could possibly flip now were just as possible to flip before. I don't know 
wide effect. I want to keep a running log. I might. I wish I had because every year we need to get you a spreadsheet for this, yeah, man. I, mean, I, I just repeat the same post. I just TPS reports. But yeah. the thing about it is, is like in years Alabama won national championships, they lost recruits. They had recruits flip. They had it when they were undefeated and put six guys in the NFL. They had all this happen. Anyways, it's not necessarily based. Fans think it's, oh, God, they hate gold. You know, they hate this coach. They hate that coach. They're gone. It's not really that simple. They might love the coach you hate. That's probably going to shock a lot of people to hear these kids. Some of these guys love the coaches that the fans hate. Absolutely love them. So um, I don't think anything to me, nothing's different to me now than it was before the Tennessee game. All right. Nothing's different. Georgia's not going to do great in recruiting because they're number one. Georgia was always going to have a great class. If Ohio State loses to Michigan, Ohio State's still going to have a great class. Alabama's got two losses. They're still going to have a great class. James Smith, the Montgomery kid with Quay Russoff, that was always going to be a battle. They were never a lock. No one said they're a lock. I know the people closest to them. No one has ever said they were a lock. But Bama fans, a lot of locked into to, locked on to they were going to Georgia in the summer. Now they're going to Auburn. I mean, they, those guys are doing exactly. James and Quay are doing exactly, exactly to the word what they said they were going to do heading into the season. They are literally, when they said they were going to Alabama State, by God, they went to Alabama State. When they said they were going to Georgia, they went to Georgia, Auburn, Bama. When they said it, they went there. There's been no, like, tea leaves to read. They, they've been very candid about it. So all the battles are a battle. I mean, you know, you, you saw a lot of the discussion about Caleb Downs and Justice Haynes, and, you know, they're going to be a battle now that Alabama lost. They were already a battle. Caleb Downs is absurdly talented. Justice Haynes is absurdly talented. Guys are unbelievable talent. So, of course, that, you know, might surprise some people, but most of these guys, Alabama commits, are highly coveted. So they've got to, you know, they got to fight for them. So it's not very surprising with two losses that the fans think it makes that difference. But, I mean, it's not been my understanding that many kids decide based on you know, hey, whoever wins the Iron Bowl, I'm going to go to Alabama or Auburn. I just don't think that factors in. It comes down to relationships. Um, it comes down to, you know, all the small things that you think of. And then you got to add in the NIL. So that's an unknown factor. That's the wild card. Everybody, it's funny, no schools really talk about their NIL, but I swear to God, every message board, when they lose a kid, can tell you. They've seen the contract the kid got. <laughs> They will nail it down to $972,000.38. They narrow it down. That's after taxes. They yeah. narrow it down. Nobody really knows. Some of these kids tell the other coaches now, so they know. But the NIL is definitely a wild card, and it just depends how wild you're going to get. You know, get with it. As for the transfer portal, given the mixed results Alabama has gotten from that revenue stream, that talent stream, this time around, although I would say it's been mostly positive when you consider Gibbs and Steen and more recently Ricks and I guess to an extent Jermaine Burton. What kind of approach do you see Alabama taking with the transfer portal this time around? I guess some of that goes back to some of the guys that we talked about that Alabama took during the last cycle and the decisions they have to make moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think Alabama's did a great job in the portal, right? I mean, they've taken – 
Landon Dickerson, great player, worked hard, represented Alabama well. Jamison Williams, you know, come on, what a great, what a great kid and story he was. And both of those guys are what the portal's about. Then you get Gibbs, um, who's been a tremendous impact player. Steen, who's been a tremendous impact player. And Ricks, who's coming on in the second half as a, as a big impact player. So I think they're identifying the right guys. You know what I mean? I think they're getting – the right guys, you know, only Ricks has gotten in a little bit of trouble. Um, but most of them have stayed, you know, came to Alabama, you know, handled their business. You don't hear many rumors about them and all that kind of stuff. So I think they're making the right decision. I don't think it's a portal issue. I mean, I mean, I look around at everybody. I mean, Ole Miss is all portal, aren't they? they got- I, mean, I, I did. I did three matchups that just dropped as we're recording this on, on BamaOnline.com of the eight players that, Ole Miss had in those three matchups six are transfer portal guys so yeah yeah that's just the way it is and if you look at it like people want to like rip the portal but we've seen teams that every year go JUCO and be successful JUCO and the portal are basically the same thing when you really get down to it it's the new JUCO yeah yeah you're these you've seen teams just thrive on um, Kansas State they signed a whole JUCO team put them out there and Compete, you know, compete in the Big 12 when they had old Snyder. They were a nasty little bunch. Played really good, was really good football team. So I don't think the portal really matters. It depends, you know, it often depends on who you're getting. You know, you know, if you mm-hmm. get a guy that comes in and ruffles feathers, you know, if you got Bryce Young, for instance, you don't want to take a uh, a transfer from Stroud from Ohio State. You know what I mean? You you create quite that create uh, create quite a domino effect. But when you got an opening. You have guys that fit in, especially multiple. And again, sports, thing about football is they're all multiple positions. I mean, Steen could have played, you know, I don't know if he can play center, but he could have played four positions at Alabama if he needed to. Um, so you have, you know, you have guys like that. I think you keep attacking the, uh, I think you keep attacking the portal personally. Yeah, I think for this Alabama team looking ahead, I would think wide receiver continues to be an area. Offensive tackle continues to be an area. Now, that's contingent upon some of these decisions that we talked about. And maybe even safety, sub-defensive back. Uh, That's usually where they like to develop guys over the course of time. But the potential for battle, Helms, and then also Brian Branch uh, to be moving on and it's it may end up being the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, but I'm guessing what that staff has seen over the course of the last two months or so from Jalen Milrow, who they've had the benefit of seeing in a start and extended action against Arkansas, and also Ty Simpson. Uh, I would still think it has to be the absolute perfect guy at quarterback, but I I can't totally negate that possibility from my line of thinking anyway, Tim. I don't think you can pass on anybody with the portal, regardless of position. If you can get a starter, I think you have to take him because if you don't, somebody else is going to take him. He's going to be starting against him. If You're going to be playing against Jaden Daniels. Yeah, yeah that, that absolutely. absolutely. And Jackson Dart. Yes, absolutely. So if you can get a starter, that's regardless of position. I mean, Burton, Ricks, Steen, and um, <clears throat> Gibbs all have major playing time when healthy. Mm-hmm. So those guys came in, you know, wide receiver, you don't have to be a starter to be an impact guy. Harrell hasn't been as fortunate, but Alabama knew what they were getting with Harrell. Unfortunate injury, raw kid, elite speed. So if you can get these guys, and again, the portal doesn't mean a one and done deal. Some of these guys will be here two or three years now. Um, yeah. 
you got a chance to develop them, learn from, you know, them to learn from mistakes, learn how to, you know, get in the system they want. And again, Ohio State's a great pro. I mean, James Williams always comes down. Ohio State's a great program. They got good quarterback play. They've got terrific wide receivers. James Williams just got lost in the shot. I mean, he might be as talented. He's probably he's as talented as any of them. I'm not saying he's the best, but he's as talented as any of them. He just got lost in the shuffle because they signed six or seven guys that were phenomenal. You know, we said the same thing about Texas A&M's defensive line class last year. How do you get eight five stars on the defensive line? You don't. You piss piss few of them off, and they'll end up in the the portal, which is the rumor. So that's what the portal's for. You get in a log jam, you get in a position, and you uh, you know you go find yourself a home. So. To me, regardless of position, this is college football, and you know it's different for Nick Saban. It's different yeah, I, for Kirby Smart. It's different for Ryan Day. But for a lot of these teams, you get this could this this year could be your last year. <laughs> a lot yeah. of these coaches. So if you get a starter, you know I don't think coaches are going to listen to me going, "Damn, I never thought of that." But it's if you can get a starter, I would get them. Man, Georgia's been largely the exception to being transfer portal active, and uh, you know that. But again, when you recruit at a level like Alabama and Georgia, there's going to be years where you have that luxury. And I think at quarterback, as much as anything, you probably worry about upsetting the apple cart from a depth perspective because just using Alabama as an example right now, you're talking about three scholarship quarterbacks. Bryce moves on. You're looking at two if you go to the portal. What becomes of those two guys that come back? But then that's probably why you add two more in this signing class, I guess, Tim. Part of that has to be in the thinking. The thing I've learned about quarterbacks is if they're not the starter, they think they're the next man up. So if you're the starter and then you're two, three, maybe even four, all those guys think they're the next man up. They find out the hard way, you know, who is the next man up. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, I mean, I've, it's it's funny to me that the roundtable, love you guys and gals, but y'all have forgot so many. Matt Jones had no prayer beating out Bryce Young. I don't know where this revisionist history came from, but it was a constant argument. You remember that with me constantly saying, I, all I know is Mac has the locker room. All I know is those guys love Mac. All I know is that, you know, because it was just written off that Bryce was going to be the starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, which obviously wasn't the case. Matt was, you know, Matt came in was really good. You get that head start. So next year, to me though, will be the most open quarterback battle if there's no transfer guy in, if there's no portal guy, because you'll have, you know, Jalen and Tyler will have an advantage over the young guys, both of them freshmen coming in, talented guys. Um, um, but so the battle to me will, will come down to Tyler, Tide, and it'll come down to uh, to, to Jalen. I mean, obviously. Jalen has to, you know, improve passing, has to be more consistent with decision making, have to be more comfortable. But he is a freak athlete. He does have a good arm. Simpson has a good arm. He, he's not giving enough credit for his running ability. He's a good athlete. He's a year behind this year. But next year, you know what I mean? He's going to have caught up a little bit more. It's going to even out a little bit more. But then again, when you get one of those guys win that battle, you have to wonder if the you know the, the one that doesn't win it you know moves on because that's sort of how the the dominoes are falling. Yeah, the silver lining in limited reps during the week for an injured Bryce Young is increased reps for guys like Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson, which can help accelerate 
their growth over the course of a season uh, for sure. So, hey, we talked plenty of football. We're going to keep doing that coming up in just a little bit in the roundtable mailbag. But, man, wanted to get your thoughts on Alabama men's hoops. Got a 21-point win in the season opener over Longwood on Monday night. Wasn't always pretty, Tim. Three of 28 from three-point range for Nate Oates' team. But, boy, intensity and length really showed up on the defensive end and on the glass. Yeah, I felt there was, you know, obviously the, the three-point shooting was awful. Free throw shooting wasn't good either. I mean, they were uh, 18 or 26, almost 20 turnovers. If I told you just those stats, this is what I love about this game. If I said, you said, hey, how the game going? I said, well, they're three for 28, hit from three, hit 18 or 26 free throws and had, you know, had 19 turnovers. You just said, shoot, what was the score? And if I said they won by 21, you'd be like, damn. Well, that's how I feel. I mean, for – if you want to highlight the bad, there was some bad, but man, the good, <laughs> they challenged everything. They had nine blocks. They had 67 rebounds. 22 offensive boards. Yeah. yeah. They had 10 assists, though. So all this kind of goes hand in hand. 19 turnovers, 10 assists, bad three point shooting. All that kind of goes hand in hand. They looked like a pretty, pretty wired up bunch, too. So I'm going to give them the They credit. were. So those shots looked good. As far as the form and them taking them, Brandon Miller was especially, I thought Brandon Miller was especially juiced up for that game. Um, Sears showed a little bit of nerve, I felt like, with his shooting. But dude did, you know, did, you know the guy had 10 rebounds <laughs> from the guard position along with five assists. Uh, turned the ball over a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you could, you know, you know, you could look at this game, the shooting percentages and all that, and you could slam. But it felt like a total different Alabama team because, if you look at the negatives and you think of some past Alabama teams, that's probably a struggle. And also, again, when those shots, those shots look good. They look like they're squaring up. They look like they're comfortable. They look like their base is set. The shots there follow through. So I think they'll be okay shooting-wise. I don't know if they're ever going to be, uh, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to be, you know, 2015, 16 Golden State shooting the ball, um, you know, that kind of three-point shot. But I think they're definitely better than three. Three for twenty-eight, but the rebounding, the length, the 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 challenging, you know, seeing Bediaco run the floor like he did. Love to see the little bit of Nick Pringle. We saw very active. Four fouls, four rebounds, four points, fours are wild. Um, just really, really, really good. I hope Darius Miles picks it up. He looked he looked out of sorts out there to me. But um, Bradley, you know, I don't. I, I love Bradley. I don't know. I love basketball. It's how I got into this business, running a scouting service when Shannon Terry found me and had college coaches recommend me. I love hoops. And the guards I love have always been the old school mm-hmm. band, New York City, Stephon Marbury, Baron Davis. It, the world isn't right if you're not mentioning Baron Davis. Chris Paul, those type of guards. And Bradley reminds me of that. He's obviously not as explosive as a Baron Davis, who's a freak among freaks, but he's got that low, you know, that low base and you're not going to see him playing above the rim or anything, but man, he's got some street smarts to him. Um, he's good in a pickup game, had um, um, uh, just really smart getting to the basket, facilitating offense. I know he only had one assist, but he easily could have had half a dozen. I felt like so really good. And of course, you know, we talked about him last year, the, uh, the Griffin kid from Texas loved the yeah. guy. One of seven from three, but you know what I like? 
He was one of seven for three. He just kept chucking it. And that's and he needs to do that. He's probably more likely to lose minutes for not taking shots and missing and 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 not missing than he is if he takes shots and misses some. That's I, why he's in there. I, I agree. If he'd have been one for three, I'd have been disappointed. But one for seven, that yeah. tells me he knows something. Somebody's got to take those shots. I mean, eventually they got to make them too, to an extent. But when you look at this roster right now, he's got to be one of those guys, I would think. Yeah, he just looked like he rattled a few out. But I really like this team. I mean, they're going to be tested against Liberty. Uh, Liberty's going to have a little bit of talent. Um, you know, you look at this schedule Alabama put together. And the one thing about, you know, you know, Nate Oates, he's not scared. I mean, you look up, you got Michigan State, Houston, Memphis, Gonzaga, all this stuff just to get into the SEC. So this guy's not scared to, to, to put it out there and let this team play. Young guys, pretty good class. I felt this signing class they put together was actually better than his ranking. You know, sometimes you look at rankings and, and, and it, you know, because rankings, you're ranking a class, you're going strictly off of uh, – the average star ranking, basically. But sometimes you put a class together where you've got a, you know, you've got a point guard, a shooting guard, a, a guy that can play the three, four, and a guy that can play the four or five. You start figuring out this team's put really well together, and that's what Bama did. They signed four guys I really like. Um, Sam Walters is definitely a shooter. They got, you know, you know, physical scoring guards and David Cosby and R.J. Johnson and Diabatu. Now everybody's comparing everybody to her. You know how that goes. Every sub- <laughs> Noah Clowney most recently, yeah. Yes, everybody. Now, I will say I do feel that Diabate is similar to Herb from the fact that he's not, you know, you're not going to see him at, at college. Now, Herb, shooting, Herb was shooting threes last night when I watched him. Herb really wasn't an outside shooter at Alabama, especially early on. Um, so, But I think this guy's going to do that. And that's what Herb had a great game for the Pelicans last night, by the way. But they do – he is better slashing to the goal – Getting to the basket, playing defense, cutting off that passing lane, and and getting down the floor. So I really like what they're putting together. Um, uh, as far as this team goes, I'm excited. We said that before. Last year's team had moments. This team, I feel like there will be struggles. You got so many young guys, so many new guys, but I do think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I enjoyed that game. I think you're on it too with three point shooting. I think there's a limited ceiling ultimately for this team, but it doesn't need to be a 40 plus percent team from three, right? It can be 33%, 35% from three. And then with what appears to be an approach that's going to get them to the line, I think free throw percentage is probably going to end up being bigger, Tim, because they got there, as you said, 26 times in the season opener. Um, if they can shoot it at a little better rate from the free throw line, uh, that'll lessen even the uh, importance there when you talk about uh, efficiency maybe from the three-point line. They're going to defend that line pretty well, I think, this year with that length, by the way. Hey, you ready to head into the BOL Roundtable mailbag, Tim? Yes. <laughs> he's excited. I love it when he's fired up. Hey, uh, Bama 84 gets us going. What do you guys think of the OL class Alabama has assembled? There seems to be a change in the type of lineman Alabama is recruiting. All these guys are huge. Is this due to the new OL coach? Or do you think Saban is wanting to get back to more of a Georgia type style offense based on the run with play action passing? Thanks for the question. Bama 84. Question. I think it's Wilford likes a big butt and he cannot lie. I think oh, wow. Guys, 300 plus. Sir Wolf a lot. 
I like it. Yeah, I do. I mean, this is you look at this. These are some biggins. You know, you look at these guys. These are some big guys. Of you know, you, all of them in the three hundred pound range. Some of them in the three twenty to three forty range. These are guys that are going to come in. I mean, you look at Pluto. We got him listed at three forty five. Miles McVay's listed at three fifty eight. I think he might be a little bit slimmer then. And Ryquez McElder, who uh, um, is looking at three hundred thirty pounds. I mean, you've got guys that are going to come in. You know, there's two ways of thinking. The NFL screwed stuff up in college coaches. The NFL went through this phase where they kept signing high draft picks who were former tight ends like Eric Fisher for the Chiefs, uh, Lane Johnson for the Eagles. They were guys that were small. Were, you know, you get that tight end in that 260 range, put the weight on and make him a make him an offensive tackle, and you have to think, well, he's athletic, he's gained the weight and all that, which is ideal. It's in a perfect world. Problem is every 260-pound offensive lineman can't get to 320. I think Alabama's taking the approach now with this class that it's easier to get 340 to 320 or whatever playing weight you want and keep his strength than to gain 30 pounds, add the strength, and keep the mobility. Because when you look at a guy's 340 pounds, if he's even semi-athletic, we saw this with Terrence Cody, if he's semi-athletic at 392 pounds, he's probably going to be really athletic 340 for a guy his size. So I think Wolford likes some likes big guys, big, strong guys that can move well. Don't really talk about the offensive class as much as we could. It's been very quiet. A lot of them finished out early on. But it's it's an A-plus group right now. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of what they've signed. Definitely a change, though. B underscore Rich underscore, our pal here in the uh, mailbag. We can always count on old B Rich. Where are the war daddies on both lines of scrimmage? Is the issue recruiting misses, developmental issues, or a combo of both? Well, the war daddies are in Philadelphia with Landon Dickerson. Quinnen Williams, war daddy, except he's in Gotham. Uh, Deron Payne would qualify. He's in D.C. But when you look at Alabama on the lines of scrimmage, Tim, um, is, is there any of these guys that if you put them next to some of the guys we've seen in the past, do they do they hold up at all? I mean, a guy like Byron Young has made some plays. Now, yeah. again, is he a true interior war daddy? Probably not. Um, the interior of the offensive line, I think it's been a surprise in that there have been moving pieces because you did return so much experience from a year ago. Yeah, I just think with the defense, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've heard a lot of theories, defensive line. I mean, you have seen Alabama play in two down linemen, one down linemen, three down linemen with this new set they've got. To me, it's just hard to judge. And you know, I'm not the only one that thinks so. I've talked to I've talked to professional coaches about the same thing. It's like it's hard to judge what they've got on the defensive line because you don't see it as much. You know, I still think. You know, Timmy Smith's got that breakthrough ability. We just got done to have it. Justin was certainly having a good year before his unfortunate injury. Like you said, Byron, I mean, there's not a there's not a Barmore on this team right now. Um, as far as Barmore, his, you know, his his last year at Alabama, um, that mean, nasty defensive lineman, those guys, there's potential mm-hmm. to step up there, but there's not. It's the same on the offensive line. I mean, this is a very you know, I don't want to say that in a negative way, but this is a nice team. I mean, this is a bunch of good guys that don't seem to get in a lot of trouble, cause a lot of trouble. You know, we discussed this a few years ago when 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 the senior when the junior class, Bryce Young and Will Anderson's class, 
when they came in, Brian Branch and all those guys, they came in and there was leaders out the behind. Mm-hmm. When Najee Harris, Mac Jones, Smitty, Waddle, Landon Dickerson, you're gonna you know you're gonna remember 15 more that I'll forget. You had guys, Pat Sertain, you had guys. There were so many leaders. I don't think the freshman leaders really had a chance to show up because there was there was no void. I think the sophomore year was a little bit quiet. We saw from a playing standpoint, Will's personality and Bryce's personality is to lead by example. You got to love those guys. That's how Smitty and Pat was. But you also need that leader who's going to shove your quarterback <laughs> in the national championship game up three touchdowns for marking at it. You need that little bit of nasty on the sidelines yelling. You need that loud intensity. I'm not sure that team has it quite yet. I mean, I think it's got leaders. I think it's got great guys on the team. I don't think it's got a leader that's willing just to step up and, and be, be vocal um, like we're used to seeing. Yeah, you, you see some body language, too, even in the LSU game that isn't typical for a Nick Saban coach team. And then even when you talk about sideline demeanor, uh, it seems like at times there's not as much juice as what we've seen in the past. So some things to consider there, and we appreciate the question. Be rich. Crimson D247, hypothetically, so you know what's about to come here. Hypothetically, Tim, if Golding were to move on, who would be some D.C. names you think Saban would be interested in and who would make the most sense? You guys may not want to talk about this, and if not, I understand. I mean, we're always thinking about names with jobs because it happens every year. That's the thing that's funny is like people are acting like – I don't know if they think we're avoiding the – I mean, Saban has turnover constantly, constantly. I mean, we're like – if. Covering this team is almost like speed dating every year. You know, we are constantly <laughs> learning new coaches, coaches going, coaches coming, out the door, known for a couple of years, and they're out. So that's not a surprise at all. Um, and also, it's not just letting somebody go. I mean, promotions happen. Coach, I mean, you know, Kirby Smart left for a head coaching position. Kirby left for a head coaching position. Pete's had opportunities to leave for for uh, other jobs, head coaching positions and coordinator positions. So it's not like we're immune to talking about it. So when you look at the defensive coordinator position, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, you know, the red tape involving Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, depends on who you ask, how, how much I said, I still think it's to be determined by the NCAA, but obviously Jeremy Pruitt makes the absolute most sense. If all things are, if everything's equal and can go, Um, I look at a guy like, you know, Derek Ansley. I mean, he's a guy that was Alabama. I think he was kind of considered, you know, Saban tried to keep him on his staff. He's got a few more years in the NFL. He's a young guy from the state of Alabama. He's a guy you can look at. Schumann, you know, I think it's a no-brainer because Schumann's learned from Kirby. Kirby learned from yeah. Saban. Um, that's no doubt. Schumann's been, you know, you know, he's been a hot name since, you know, he was in the back offices at Alabama. Those staffs loved him. So, you're looking at guys like that. The one part that I think people misunderstand is for us, it's hard to speculate. Nick Saban is, you know, he is, he is Clayton Kershaw's curveball. <laughs> you know, he comes out of the blue when he replaces strength and conditioning. They come from Indiana. He pulled Pete out of University of Texas, San, San Antonio. His offensive coordinators have came from all over. So, um, uh, I think it's really hard for us to pin him down because he's not like he's just going to pull 
pull his guys. It's not going to be just his guys. Now, in defense, it's definitely going to have to be somebody similar with him. And that's the one thing we, you know, we, we've said is like you can't really get a great defensive coordinator who runs his own system to Alabama easily because he wants to run his own system. It's what he knows. And Nick Saban wants to run his defense and call it his way. So there's you got to find that perfect match on defense. Offense is a little bit more open. I mean, you've had everybody from you know you've had everybody from Nussmeyer to uh, to Lane Kiffin calling the play. So that's a little easier. Saban's got a playbook they can call out of it, work stuff in. Um, so that's a little bit easier. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't mind discussing it, but it's hard to predict what Nick Saban will or won't do. A guy I like is Zach Arnett over at. Uh... Mississippi State, and you look at them right now, they're a top six defense in the league, and really in his two-plus seasons there with Mike Leach, that's been the most consistent side of the ball for the Bulldogs is defensively. Now, I know they gave it up a little bit to Auburn, especially on the ground last Saturday night, and I don't even know how much a guy like Zach Arnett aligns with Nick Saban in terms of philosophy. I think Zach is a Kind of a three-three-five guy, but you know, in some ways that does line up with Nick. But you said it. You know, whenever we think Nick Saban is going to zig, he zags. So good luck setting your clock or watch by uh, any potential changes that are likely to occur after this season. W Bird one nine eight three. Actually, Alabama tied first. Will Alabama throw that two-four-five? Speaking of defensive alignments. In the bleepity bleep garbage. I guess Alabama side isn't a fan of the two defensive linemen with two outside linebackers and then two inside linebackers in a nickel package. And look, it's a package that Alabama has leaned upon over the years. This isn't something new. I mean, we saw it with Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis. We saw it in 2020 with Will and Chris Allen primarily. We saw it last year with starting with Chris Allen and Will Anderson, and then with Chris going down to injury, it was Drew Sanders and then Dallas Turner. Um, I get where people's frustration is. I think more so in terms of rush defense, because you're a little lighter in that look, but I don't, I haven't seen anything, Tim, that tells me it's, it's going out, you know, whatever you think of it, it does get a, a, a player like Dallas Turner on the field. Um, and I know you look at Ole Miss this week and you think, man, this is the SEC's leading rush offense. They're going to try to pound the rock and do it with pace, get a, a true defensive end on the field opposite Will Anderson to help deal with that and two DLs inside. But the last two games in this series, I went and checked. Alabama has gone with this same type of approach. It was Chris Allen and Will Anderson in 2020 when they gave up 268 rushing yards to Ole Miss. And then last year it was Drew Sanders and Will when they held Ole Miss to 78. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see a mix of it, but uh, they seem pretty well married to that approach right now. Yeah, I just think if you're going to do it, you have to have a backup plan if it ain't working. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You got to adjust, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can have too much pride. I mean, the thing about it is, I think, would it be wild to say Ole Miss is a better running team than passing team? No, they run it 46, 47 times a game. They only throw the ball 26 times a game. I've heard yeah. some words hurled at me from friends of mine when I told them that this week when they said they love they love the passing game and they hope Lane 
comes to Alabama with that same passing game, I'm like, well, you're going to be pissed because they run better than they have. <laughs> and uh, not that Lane can't throw the ball, but this team has um, some very talented running backs. I mean, Zach Evans, anybody follows recruiting remembers that kid. He was he was the number one running back in the country. Now, everything with Zach was off the field. Yeah. I had a kid that signed with Georgia and asked out of being signed with, out of his LOI within a few days. Uh, was sent home from the state championship game from North Shore. Wouldn't yeah. give his up to his coach. Um, went to TCU. Set out a few games last year under weird circumstances. Transferred to Ole Miss. Off the field, a lot of questions. On the field, there ain't no questions. Kid's a horse. He can run. And now you got Quinshawn Judkins, the kid from Montgomery. Yeah, it's hard not to that's like. a true freshman that's rushed for over a thousand yards already. Yeah, it's hard not to like that kid too. I mean, I know. Um, if you like sports, you like that guy. Very lowly recruited. That's one of those. Why didn't Bama recruit him? Why didn't half the world recruit him? To be honest with you, nobody really pushed for him as hard as, as Lane. There's a lot of offers by his name in the database, but Lane Kiffin was all in on that Joker. So he knew what he was getting. He knew what he wanted. wasn't particularly fast forty guy. Uh, people had more questions than answers when they when they talked about him. So great evaluation by the Ole Miss staff to go out and get him and. Uh, but a heck of a heck of a running game, so they got to be prepared to stop that this week. Yeah, Judkins reminds me a little bit of Carryon Johnson when I watch him. Well, you know what? It's hard not to like him. I mean, he's a good he, kid. He loves the contact, and yeah, he's a good kid. There's a good story. I mean, there's a lot to like there. Um, I've enjoyed Henry, watching him run the ball. Henry Toa Toa, Jalen Moody, Deontay Lawson. Those guys better bring their feet against four on Saturday. Hey, W Bird, 1983. What are the odds that big game Bill O'Brien will throw the ball 40-plus times against a team with a bad rush defense? Well, there's a common denominator, Tim, in Alabama's last three losses, and I bet you know what it is. Those losses involved 50-plus pass attempts by Bryce Young. I I mean, seriously, think of where we're started, me and you. Can you imagine Nick Saban throwing the ball 50 no. times? No. I mean, we used to be happy with 15. Like, oh, my God, it's Air Saban. Yeah, Stalin's teams would throw 50 in six games, it seemed uh, like. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's absurd. I remember us saying, hey, we almost had 300 yards passing. That's amazing. Yeah, if you if your wish back in the mid-'90s was for Alabama to become fun and gun in Florida, well, here it is. Yeah, we're here. But even Spurrier's teams could run it well enough, right? I mean, they would pass to kind of get the lead, and then Eric Rett and Fred Taylor and those backs would kind of kind of salt the game away yeah. with the run game. You know, the, thing, the one thing, like, you know, when I look, just to touch on this, I know it, everybody has their person to blame. You can blame this coach. You can blame that coach. You can blame that position or whatever you want. But the offense has issues. It's not like it's easily – I mean, the offensive line is not particularly good, especially compared to what we're used to seeing. Wide receivers aren't particularly good, especially compared to what we're used to seeing. Bryce Young doesn't look 100%, but I love him for being a warrior because he's still out there battling. I'm not mm-hmm. going to hold it against him. Tight end, Latou can be great. He can be not so great. They don't play nine black. It's thin. So it's not like the offensive line's an easy fix where you just need to play one more play. It's really a, a series of misfortunate events to me. I don't think it's one thing. Now, I do think there's there's times where the play calls absolutely do not benefit 
what what you're trying to do. That those you know those that I don't know if that quick pass out in the flats worked all year. I mean, you don't really have that. Judy rugs plan. And they don't and they, and they don't block well enough out there. Oh, no, that's another. You're right. They absolutely run right through it. But you don't have the you know thing about rugs is he had home run speed. The thing about Smitty, you know, was is you know he's a guy that never lost twister. He's so flexible he can get open. And Judy, there ain't nobody better in planting a foot and going than Jerry Judy was. So you have those guys. Waddle, I don't even want to. You know, I don't even want to talk about how great that guy was. But you don't have any of those guys out there. Even the guys you've got have. Really good speed at straight line speed with, with you know, with Kobe and and um, um, Bonds and and mm-hmm. Harrell. So you don't have so there's plays that just aren't going to work, in my opinion. I don't know why they're still trying to use them. I'm sure there's maybe I keep thinking they're trying to set something up, but I haven't really seen. I, it. I, I I've been waiting on that in the run game. I keep thinking, you know, they're eventually going to fake this outside zone to Gibbs and yeah. hand it to one of these slot receivers going the other way. And that's going to slow down some of this stuff, but they, they don't, they, everything is hard for this offense, Tim. And they're, they're really basic in their approach. And they ask Bryce to basically stand in the pocket and, or extend plays from there to make the whole thing go. And just team wide from a complimentary football perspective, I know people are probably tired of hearing me talk or write about that this week. Because when you look at a team like Georgia right now, that's the that is the standard of complementary football. All three phases sort of blend into one, right? They complement each other in a way in which the meal at the end of the 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 recipe and the cook and all those things uh, looks and tastes really good. Yeah, and also Georgia has the advantage: a very hungry program, yeah, very hungry coach. Um, very competitive on the defensive side of the ball. All things you'd like to, uh, like you'd see. Like they got that dog. Yeah, you yeah. like Alabama to get back to that because you get into this. You know, you got into that with that 2016. Was that the defense where there just was no, like you didn't have to practice hard. You didn't have yeah. to work hard. Some guys were just so much better than uh, other players. I think you need to get back, and, they, and certainly they're going to fill that void with. With uh, with um, with you know portal guys and the recruiting class and all that kind of stuff, but for me, you know, I've, I've touched on this. I just like to see something different out of Alabama this week. I'd like to see them cause three turnovers. I'd like to see them run the ball between the tackles. I'd like to see them because even that first drive against LSU, straight down the field. But man, it felt like it was thirty-eight plays, didn't it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just not what you're used to. And then the next three series, just zero. Yeah, know? zero. And that's the one thing about Alabama. Alabama has more three plays and no yards series mm-hmm. than I've seen anybody in the country who's ranked that high. They just have it every game. They have a low. And you know the thing about LSU that's insane, we discussed this, is it's like the, the team's trolling the fans because the first half the defense was fantastic. Yeah, they had their back against the wall for 30 minutes. They were caught every time I looked up. LSU was at midfield, right? They did great. Offense could do basically nothing. Second half, completely opposite. Offense is moving the ball, getting up the field. Defense can't stop anybody. It's like there's never in you. If the offense had played like the in the first half, like they did in the second half, matched up with the defense, Alabama would have been up huge in that game. And then again, if they'd have both played bad in the first half, they'd have been down huge. So, 
I mean, it's just. Well, it's still a thing with Alabama. If you can get the game just into the second quarter and you're still in a good position as far as a chance to win the game, more so even with this team, it feels like teams' confidence goes up even higher. Like when LSU survived that first drive last Saturday night and then got the stops on three straight possessions. And now you're into the second quarter, and it's very much a game LSU playing at home feels good about, right? The the urgency that this team sort of forces upon opponents isn't there compared to what we've seen from previous teams. Just look at Tennessee when you get down 28 to 10 on the road and you have to come all the way back. So that this team just does not put itself in a favorable position, even early in games to against good teams, really even average teams like Texas A&M to sort of send them into a mindset of we we're not going to win this game and we know it. And it's the second quarter that this team just um, hasn't shown that yet. It's just something that happened in the middle of last year, you know, and I, yeah. I it all last week and it was just like, you know, Josh paid. I let him steal my bit for his little show. Cause he needs more listeners and he needs Josh my- would never steal anything. What are you talking about? I Tim? Permission. Okay. He has right. Permission. Cause I really do a lot of the thinking for that guy, which isn't, Hard to hard to figure out, but when I said if you're an Alabama fan, because I spent a week asking, when's the last to take out the outlier, which is the SEC championship game? Now tell me, we'll go back through the schedule. When's the last Alabama game you enjoyed? <laughs> like when's the last time you were eating while you were watching the game, feet up, having fun, texting buddies, enjoyed the game? It's all to me went all the way back to Tennessee, fifty two twenty four. And Mississippi State back-to-back games last year, but after that moment, yeah, after those games, I mean, you are everything's a grind. Holding your breath as Max Johnson slings the ball for the end zone to beat you at home. You're praying, you know, Auburn and Haynes King taking shots at you to win the game in Bryant Denny Stadium for crying out loud. Auburn has 97 yards to stop you to keep you from winning. The SEC championship game is a pass to me. A lot of injuries. A good team. Um, against a good team, too much to overcome. But then you get Texas, you got Texas A&M. And I said this on the board several times. The losses don't bother me nearly as much as the, some of the wins. You lost at 10. I mean, this schedule, let's get real. Are you are, who, are you kidding me? At Texas, at Ole Miss, at Arkansas, at LSU, and at Tennessee, you're talking about a tough-ass schedule. Thank goodness that's not coming next year. You know, thank, you know, thank goodness you had Bryce – to go into all those places this year, that was a huge, huge advantage. But I mean, the law, I mean, the losses you're losing on the last play of a great game against a good team. I mean, both of those losses are five and six in the college football playoffs right now. So those are, but it's bare. I mean, you should not be having to tip a pass and to stop Haynes King from beating you in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Nobody else has had to tip a damn pass. Or, or stop a pass out, you know, to stop a pass on the last play to beat Texas A&M. Even Florida, them are going in there and beating them. Yeah. That's what concerns me the most is some of the wins that should have been easy just aren't there this year. That's what I think. I mean, any any Alabama team could lose some of the games. In fact, all of them have lost those type of games. The kick six, the Aggies last year. I mean, there's been a series of games they lost. Every game Alabama loses is going to reach in pull your heart out and that game's going to stomp on your heart for you 
for 24 to 48 hours. But it's the, you know, it's the concern like the winds. You should have, you know, you get Texas, a tough Texas, tough crowd. Quinn Ewers goes out and you're still struggling. You know, that's to me, that's the concerns that they've got to fix. And I'm in the camp firmly, firmly that this can be fixed and rather easily. And I believe yeah. he can do it because he's always did it. And yeah, until until you see him not do it over a, a couple of seasons, um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I think that's the smart approach. This has happened before. It happened in 2010. It happened in 2013. It happened in 2019. I might even be missing here where they missed the college football playoffs or they weren't in the national championship. They lost a couple of games. This has happened before, and he's adjusted. I'm not saying he's going to fire every coach. But I do know he's fired them all before <laughs> like yeah. at Ohio State game in New Orleans. I had a few coaches say, I don't even know if I've got a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. said, literally everybody, you know, Saban's Nick Saban is a guy going, all y'all can find another job because I know it ain't me. Yeah. You know what hey, I mean? let's wrap this up with Tarkovsky fan. I think we've hit on this, by the way, just in this last little bit, but he asked, do you think the issues with this team are more scheme attitude or personnel related? Uh, again, I, I think we, uh, I think we covered that, although we do appreciate the question. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate all the questions. We're glad you asked, you guys ask them, but yeah, I believe it's a mixture of everything. I mean, I'm not, if I thought it was like just replace the left guard or the outside backer or the inside backer, you know, I, that mm-hmm. would be, you know, a different discussion. I would say that, but I don't think it's a quick fix. I don't think it's necessarily the culture. I think it's the mindset. That's yeah. what I, I think. It's a, I think you need a reset is what you need. I think the culture is good. I think these are good kids. You know, I think only in sports do we judge, you know, I mean, I saw, you know, I was, had messages with a guy who said that we failed Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And I said, failed them. Yeah, they national championships. They got Heisman's. They got SEC's. SECs. Yeah, they got, they're going to have degrees. First round picks. Here's the thing: <laughs> for fans to say they hate that kid came to the the school, but the kid yeah. loves the school, that tells you what an what an ass. You I are. wonder what those people think about Spencer Rattler and guys like that. You know, if, if they think that about Bryce Young, right? I mean, I mean, those are you know, there's there. I'll tell you this: I don't worry about Will and Bryce being successful people in life. I don't even care about football. I think if they never played oh, no. down a football. They're CEO, they're CEO types. Yeah. I don't care if they ever played another down of football. I think they would be highly successful. And I don't just mean money. I just think they're good people that good things will happen to. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of guys on the team like that. But at the end of the day, when you look back at Bryce's record, it's going to be pretty damn There's good. not a Rolando McLean on this team. No. Basically. And you know what? I've all, you know, you need, you kind of need those. You kind of need those. You do. You do. You don't need too many of them. No. no. If you got the right ones, you don't need a bunch of them. Yeah, you need that Sean Robinson who used to, like, intimidate Reuben Foster. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, great show. Yeah, I enjoyed it, Tim. As always, a lot of fun here on T. Watts and TR, part of the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we hope you'll consider doing so. Simple, easy as a click or two. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it as well. Tim, we'll do it again soon. Bye, brother. See you on the roundtable. Absolutely. The roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. You're going to find that right there at BamaOnline.com as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanks again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.